Hello again, everyone. Ariel Hawani here for another edition of Ariel Hawani Meets, and we're sitting down with one of the MVPs of the WWE roster, one of the best wrestlers on the planet, and I think he would say the best wrestler on the planet right now, the one and only Seth Rollins, an absolute legend, a future Hall of Famer, a man who has been involved in some really big matches. This is a big moment. He told me this off camera in his career, this sit down right here. Uh, we did part one before Clash at the Castle. I appreciate your time very much. And we ended on you saying that you have a chip on your shoulder. Yeah. Still, after all these years, two decades in the game, you're, you're a husband now, you're a father now, you've accomplished it all, you've done so many great things. Why in the world does Seth Rollins have a chip on his shoulder? Um, I just feel like I've never, in some ways, I've never gotten my just due. There's always like... I've never been the guy, you know? I've never been the one on the marquee at WrestleMania. I, it's, you know, it was John, it was Roman. In some regards, when I was at Ring of Honor, it was Nigel or it was Brian. And I was always the guy like on the come up or on the underneath, or I was kind of the second or the next big thing type thing, you know? And that always just eats at me. It eats at me so much. And so I don't know where that competitive spark comes from, um, but it drives me insane. And the thing is, if I was that guy, I don't know if it would just go away. I, I, would, I always would find some way to, to put the chip there. Like, it's just the way I operate best, you know? I like, have to have it for some reason in, in, in everything, for, for better or worse sometimes. Do you have any kind of theory as to why you're always that guy that's sort of overlooked or not given his due? Why do you think that has been the case? Um, gosh, that's interesting because you don't really, you know, wrestling's so interesting because it's like a meritocracy to a point, mm -hmm. right? There's a there's like a connection that you can get with an audience that you can work and you can cultivate over years, and and that equity will will push you to the top of a card or a promotion or whatever, but being anointed as the guy is not always that simple. Um, and so I don't, I don't know, you know, and, and the, the, the biggest thing is maybe I'm wrong, you know, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Maybe there are people out there that draw more money, perform better in the ring, um, sell more merch, et cetera, et cetera, than me. And I'm, I've got this inflated idea of myself. And like, that's the fear, right? Is that I'm just dead wrong. And so maybe that's the truth. And maybe, that, maybe that's just how it is. But I can't operate at optimum levels accepting that. Do you know? Yeah. Like, I just can't do it. I, I, I pride myself on my work ethic and my hustle. And I feel like if I just settled for saying, ah, I'm just not good enough or I'm just not, you know, as big of a star. I can't be as big of a star as, say, Roman Reigns um, or Hulk Hogan or John Cena. Then I, I would be doing myself a disservice. I'd be doing the business a disservice. Um, and I just I don't think I could go to sleep at night, like, accepting being second best. Why I am, I don't know. Super interesting to hear you just say that, like, maybe I'm wrong. Right, because you come across as a very confident guy, and I believe in your heart, and you said it to us in part one, that you're the best in the world. So how often does that doubt creep in, where you say to yourself, maybe I'm wrong? 
gosh. Um, I mean, all the time, I think. I think it's like a, uh, a, a it festers like a, a healthy anger in me, you know? Like, that's what keeps me hustling is to be the best. And, and that thought that I'm maybe not is uh, is like a, you know, it's like a boiling pot of water. And the higher I turn the heat, the faster I can go, you know, the more steam I can pump out. And so, like, that's just, that's it, man. I, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know any other way to deal with it, but I definitely, I, I mean, it's there. It's, con- it's constant. It's as constant as, like, the question of, am I not as good as I think I am, is there right next to, I'm the best mm. to do it all the time. They are, I think anybody that, that's competing at an ultra high level uh, will, you know, you have to have both. It's almost like the yin and the yang. I just don't think there's anybody out there that tells you that they, if they say that they don't wonder about that, then they're, they've got to be lying to an extent. Was there ever a time in your WWE career where it all kind of came together, where you felt like you were the best, you were being treated as the best, you were being viewed as the best, where you truly felt like it had all, like that puzzle came together? No. Not once? Nope. Even as champ? Nope. I always felt like um, I, a little, little bit of imposter syndrome with my first title run, you know? Why is that? Um, I was young. I was 26, I think, when I first won the title, maybe 28, something like that. Um, I was young, and um, I was working with guys who, after I won the title, that were a lot more experienced than I was. And not that I wasn't adding anything to the stories, but I, f- I didn't feel like I was thinking about it the way, and this is all in retrospect, I don't feel like I was thinking about it the way that, say, I would think about it now, seven, eight years later, whatever it is. And so, yeah, I never felt like, even when I had won the title at WrestleMania, cashed in, great moment, um, I still felt like I was second fiddle to Roman. I still felt like he was... He's the guy it's just going to, you're the placeholder until he's totally ready and we're totally ready to put the ball in his hands. But for now, you're, you're, you're a step ahead, so we're going to give you this, and then, you know, we'll move on to what we really want to be. But it's just going to take a few months. Mm. So, no, I've never, ever felt like I, in my time in WWE that, that the company was like, yep, he's our guy, put his face on everything. Do you feel like you're close to that point, close to getting to that point? I don't know, man. I wonder uh, often if it if if because I live in the Roman era that that, that that's just never going to happen. You know, the only time I I, uh, I was even considered, I think, for the main event of WrestleMania, um, Roman when he got leukemia and he was out for from August till January or whatever February it was, and uh, I was kind of second uh, behind in, in the little babyface column there, and so. You know, I got slotted in, and so um, I, I feel like it's one of those things. I, I'm like the, um, you know, the the best I can hope for is to be the Edge to his Cena, or like the uh, the Savage to his Hogan. You know, and sometimes I just feel like that's just the way, the way, the way the cookie crumbles. You know, doesn't mean I'm not. I don't think that I'm better than he is, or that I can perform, or that I can draw at that level. I certainly think all those things, but. It's not my sandbox. I don't make those decisions. What's your relationship like with him? With Roman? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. He's there's no, 
I don't know, animosity there. There's no, dare I say, envy or jealousy or no, anything like that. no, no, no. It's very healthy competition. Like we, you know, for when 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 we started the Shield, the goal was always to be the three of us at the top of the industry. That was always the goal, and it was never like, oh, I'm going to help you, and you're going to help me, and we're going to help him. We were all out. We were all using each other, not not like helping each other. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but we all knew what we brought to the table. But we all knew our ultimate goal was to be the top, 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 the the literal best. No one could touch us. And um, but it, there was never there was never any like never any falling out, never any like jealous, never any you don't deserve this, I deserve this type of thing. It was it's never been like that. Um, he he is immensely talented at what he does and he is incredible uh, as champion has been and in his role like especially obviously the last two years have been super special for him as a performer and so I take nothing away from him but I I just can't I can't do it in my heart to tell tell myself that someone's better than me or can do this better than I can you know so um the end of the day again it's not my sandbox and these aren't my decisions to make so um but yeah there's never been any never been anybody in the heads it's always been easy smooth sailing between him and i i think fans would be happy to hear that uh just curious what about dean ambrose aka john moxley do you have a Same. relationship with him yeah 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 i mean i don't still, talk, i don't talk to him as much obviously we don't both, see him yeah. yeah opposite schedules and different stuff but um you know our babies our baby girls are close to the same age and he's not much of a texter like he's an in-person cat. I'm shocked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's not much of a like a texter, a, a phone guy. So he's an in-person dude. So if if there's ever a chance, you know, when I we were in Cincinnati last time I was there, I popped in at the house and said hi and all that and checked in on him. Um, and I again do the same thing periodically just to see how he's doing and stuff. But uh, I'm close with Renee, so we're always exchanging baby pictures and what's new with the kids and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, again, never, never any animosity. He's he's great. Again, at the top of his game, doing his thing over in AW. So uh, nothing but the best. I I've never between the three of us, and I can't speak for the two of them. Right. But they were closer than yeah. I was with either of those guys as like friends uh, off camera. So I assume that they're, you know, still chill. I've never heard anything to the uh, to the contrary. But yeah, I've always had a great relationship with those guys. Speaking of which, uh, over the spring, you had this great feud with Cody Rhodes. He comes over, it's this huge deal, and you know you compete against him three straight times, and you go 0-3 against him. Mm. How did you feel about that, that story, that build, that arc? Um, you know, it was maybe... When I when I when I heard Cody was coming over, when we when we finally got the news, which was very last minute as far as WrestleMania is concerned, um, when we finally you know I knew that that was going to be my match. I think it was pretty obvious to me which way things were going to lean. Um, it didn't stop me from being a little frustrated, you know. Again, um, feeling like I was being used to kind of catapult somebody else into a position I felt like I deserved um, and so that was pretty you know kind of demoralizing but again that's just more of a chip on my shoulder so that by the time we got to Wrestlemania I was I was ready to just have the match of the night 
Now, my wife and Bianca would have something to say about that. Uh, they kind of tore it up right before us. But um, we're in contention, I would say, for, for match of the two-night uh, event. Um, and then you look at you know what, what we want to accomplish over the next um, two pay-per-views. Um, and you know who knows if things would have been different had he not torn his pec. I don't know. Um, but you know, that's just how life works sometimes. And at the end of the day, in retrospect, um, I definitely think I came out of it a lot better than I went into it. You okay. know? Like, I, I don't think in any way that I suffered uh, uh, from losing three times in a row. Um, I think, it, if anything, I, I in some ways got more respect um, for, you know, having the... Um, I don't know, the humility to put sure. my own self-interest aside to work with someone who needed incoming to this, back into this world from his, you know, yep. past world. Um, he needed it a lot more than I did. My equity's not going anywhere and he needed to reestablish himself. And he fought tooth and nail, obviously, through one of the most horrific looking injuries you'll ever see in your life. Um, to get himself into a position where now he's, he's set, you know, he's a made man, hopefully, uh, when he comes back from his pec injury, whenever that is. So, yeah, there's a lot of ups and downs, but at the end of the day, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the process. And, you know, pro wrestling is about storytelling. It's, right. not, uh, it's not MMA, fortunately. The mm-hmm. wins and losses don't matter uh, as much, you know, to a point they do, but not nearly as much. And so... Um, there might be some other people and some other companies that tell you wins and losses do matter, but it's pro wrestling, man. It's stories. That's 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 what matters. Making people feel something, you know. You're kind of like the Nathan Diaz of WWE. He has double digit <laughs> losses, and no one seems to care. Yeah, so, and that's the ultimate compliment because I think the world of him. But that mindset says a lot about you. And and I'm curious, like that match um, when he had the torn pec. Just watching it, you're like the stories about him and the torn pec. But if you kind of have been watching wrestling and understand it, you would say also like what you did that night was just as impressive in many respects because that was an injured man in there and you had to make sure that he wouldn't leave even more injured. How difficult was that situation for you? Um, you know, the thing about that situation is it really went a long way in repairing my reputation, I think. <laughs> you know, I had gotten so much flack online for you know some injuries that had happened in matches that I was in, whether they were caused by me directly or indirectly. Um, is in a whole different you know uh, can of worms but um yeah i think people are like oh maybe maybe he does know how to take care of people in the ring yeah duh um but yeah it it was um i think more visually jarring than anything you know our doctors would have never let him um compete if there was danger for further injury to the pec now was there danger um to injuring other parts of his body because of his ineptness and his right pectoral muscle? Absolutely. Um, was there danger for me in you know, being in there with someone who only has one good arm? Absolutely. But again, we're professionals and so we can design these matches to take care of each other in ways that still create captivating stories and moments. And I think um, in some ways the match may not have been as special without uh, that visual of his, you know, completely torn and bloody and bruised 
arm and chest and belly and whatever was going on there. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you make the best out of it. And in this situation, um, you know, our best was pretty damn good that night. I, I love this version of you, the get up. I want to ask you about the clothes and everything. <laughs> I, I love the laugh. I, you know, everything that you do is, is so entertaining. And actually, I don't know if you would agree with me, maybe one of your uh, lowlights as of late, for me as a, as a fan, as a viewer, was a highlight. It was the night in Brooklyn where you were attacked by the fan. And uh, I want to ask you about that moment, but I just want to say, when you came out afterwards and you did the thing like this where you were looking oh. around and almost made light <laughs> of it, in a situation where I'm sure you were rattled, I'm sure it was very scary, uh, the the vision of uh, King Troy, I believe it is, like oh, wanting yeah, to protect yeah. you. I mean, what a <laughs> what a friend that guy is. The man who designs your clothes, or at least is your stylist. Yeah. For you to kind of make light of that, like thirty minutes later, said so much to me about you as a performer. I was so impressed by how you oh. made light of it. So just speaks to again you performing on the big stage. Could I ask you about that night and what was going through your head as that happened? Because it seemed oh, terrifying. Man. It was so fast though that I didn't really have any time to process it until. Like I only remember, the only thought I remember having is when he was on top of me and kind of they were, I mean, they were already pulling uh, him away, but he had like a handful of my hair and I was just trying to kind of punt him off me with whatever foot I had underneath me. I think you had a guillotine maybe in there. I, I, my instinct was to grab his head okay. immediately just to control his head and I have no jiu-jitsu training at all. So whether I did anything right or wrong is completely instinctive. Um, but yeah, my instinct was just as soon as I, I knew that someone was upon me, um, just to control his head as best I could. Because if he you know, couldn't posture up, then he probably wasn't going to get anything done, hoping that he didn't have any weaponry in his hands, which right. thankfully he did not. So yeah, it just, it was, it was like, it happened so fast. He was on me quickly. He's a little bowling ball of a man. And, um, and I just remember thinking, what is happening when he's underneath me and then get off me and then, you know, who is this person? I got to look at him and then it was like, all right, be done with it. You know, they've got it under control. So let's just move along. Um, but yeah, man, it was so weird because the way I was, you know, I'm leaving the ring. I just, I think I had had a match with Finn Balor and I had hit him with an extra stomp and, you know, there was a bit of heat. So they were booing and whatever. And I'm walking away and um, I remember just turning to our cameraman, Stu, who's, you know, usually he's the guy on the aisle there and he's following and he follows me. So when I turn, he turns. So, you know, I turn to face and he's got my shot with the ring in the background. And there's always people when they've got that shot, there's always people running behind, whether they're setting up pyro or, you know, just moving wires or whatever they're doing. So this guy just I didn't even think twice that he wasn't just someone working because he just comes running around the corner out of the darkness and then before I even have time to react he's by by Stu and just on me it happened like in the blink of an eye it felt like um when you watch it obviously like fan cams or something you can like oh there he is running at Seth why doesn't Seth see him right. but I mean I'm telling you man he just came out of the shadows like it was nothing like he was Batman or something um but yeah dude I was just thankful that security was there I was thankful that he wasn't armed in any way that could have gone very badly um and then i you know in in the aftermath i just felt bad for him you know when when i kind of saw online what his situation was and that he had possibly been catfished out of some money and that you know his mental capacity wasn't you know um great i just felt bad i felt bad that there wasn't anybody in his life that could kind of help him out and um 
So it was an unfortunate situation that I think was, you know, handled as best as it could all, all the way around. And then honestly coming out later with the, yeah, the, I didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. It was, there was just like a, in some ways, like there's no way it's going to happen again. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I had, I had the extra safety net there that I was like, if this happens again, somebody's getting fired. So I, I felt pretty confident that having to go back out there, we weren't going to have any repeat offenders, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I just make in light of the situation. And, and the cool thing about this character is like, he can really get away with anything, right. you know? He can do anything you want him to do. And so that's one of those things where I can, I can poke fun at myself or poke fun at the situation, even if it is completely dangerous and scary. It's just this, this guy can do that. But does that stick with you? Like, do you think about that a lot? Are you looking... So sometimes, around? yeah. It's so funny now. I think about it on the live events more than anything. I feel like TV is extra secure, you know? But sometimes on these live events, I go out, I... I I get the entrance, like I just come through and like as I'm starting to do my thing, I just get like a just like a little PTSD of like maybe, you know what I mean? Because it, it, it's not the first time I've had a fan jump the rail. I've actually had like three or four now. Wow. And this is the, gosh, this is, I mean, the second or third guy that has gotten within range. And so it's, uh, it's not, and this is over 10 years, so the right. odds are pretty good. But it's still, it's, you know. Again, it could have gone horrifically bad, um, and I'm thankful that it didn't. But yeah, I definitely keep my head on a bit more of a swivel these right. days. The outfits are incredible. Uh, your wife's outfit's incredible. I mean, <laughs> like, they're, one's better than the next. It's just incredible, and they're just so outrageous. I'm just curious, like, how close to your style is this actor? Like, well, like if we were going out now for a coffee, are you dressing like this no, as well? God, this, no. No? No, no, only for the for the TV show. Really? Yeah, the same. Do you ever feel weird about it? Like you're like, this is a little too crazy for me, but I'm gonna run with it. So I did in the beginning. In the beginning, I was I was like kind of hesitant to just you know, hundred percent go with it. But as I got you, what's that? Uh, Just getting more comfortable in the character. Because when I first started it, I didn't really know. I didn't have a full grip on what the character was gonna look like or you know where I was gonna like kind of pull motivation from. I had a couple of ideas, but honestly, it was not. Where it's at now is not where I thought it, where I saw it in the beginning. Um, and the clothes were just like, I was trying to do something completely different, you know, something that was off the wall, a bit, a bit of a throwback to kind of, you know, your Ric Flair's or your um, Rick Rude's or your, your, your um, what was another one? Gorgeous George, like just these flamboyant characters and how could I modernize that, right? And so I was just like, let's do some stuff that's, totally off the wall who were who are these celebrities now that are wearing some weird stuff and so i i had had troy enlisted and he was gung-ho on trying to find stuff and the first things he started to pass me were suits and so i was like okay and so we just kept doing the suits and once i got comfortable in it and people started to take note of it it was like all right let's get as weird as we can you know and so we just just keep going so I, I don't, I see no end in sight. You ever wear something twice? Uh, occasionally. For example, this jacket is a double wear. Okay. Um, I wore it once in a backstage in Texas. Jeez. With, I think it was with Edge. I had some red boots on. Wow. Um, and I keep all of them. I have yeah, all, where do you store I, all have, I have them all. So like I'd say 70% of them are in the WWE archives. I okay. sent them to Stanford and so they have them. But obviously I keep accruing new right. suits so the closets are getting pretty full um 
So right now it's just a matter of like trying to figure out some of them, you know, they get shredded and ripped and they're gone. No one uses, but, um, a lot of them are just in the closets at home. We got one in LA, one in Iowa, and I just fill them up until hopefully the archives want them and I can send them, send them up there and they're just going to have trash bags full of worn Seth Rollins suits. By the way, interesting time now. Uh, people are getting their names back. Names are changing. Things are changing. Words are coming back. Wrestling is okay. This whole <laughs> new Triple H era. Is freaking gone as well? I'm not sure. As of this interview, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, I, so even before Triple H took over, um, this was weeks before, I think, um, maybe months even, I had gone to Vince specifically because I had watched something back on Raw. Maybe it was like a highlight on Twitter. And... Um, they they had just they said Seth freaking Rollins like it had to have been a dozen times in thirty seconds you know because Vince was also very big on uh, not using pronouns so you constantly he wanted the whole brand in every single time I was referenced and I'm like we gotta stop that yeah. <laughs> you gotta you're, you're gonna turn people off that's not what we want you know so he was he was like oh, okay 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 all right well, on the commentary they can refer to you as Seth or Rollins and I was like all right thank you. So I don't know. I don't know if freaking staying or going. It's you know I've had many many names and it's it's all fine with me. So it's different and um, you know no one's no one's really working with a, a strong middle name right now. No right. Brett the Hitman Hearts, you know. So I'm mad at it. What was your reaction when you found out that Vince was retiring and Triple H was taking over? Uh, I was just I couldn't believe it. It's one of those things where you'll never. Where were you? Yeah, you'll never forget. Yeah. I was uh, in the airport. We were um, heading out to a live event. We were flying out on a Friday. Um, you know, the thing went out at like three o'clock Central, four, four Eastern, roughly. I think it was. And so I got the text. I was coming through the security line. And I got the text. Uh, Check your app for a note from the chairman or whatever. And click it. Sure enough, he just was retired. And I was like, Becky was with Rue down looking at a, at a statue of a deer in, <laughs> in the, uh, the airport in Iowa. And um, she was looking at the deer statue. And I was like, she just saw my face from a distance. You know, she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, did you get the text? She's like, no, what? And I had her look at it. And she was like, oh my God, what, what? Is that, is, that's it? And I think both of us were just like, what? And I always thought, like, you know, Vince is older, so I thought, you know, at some point in my tenure with WWE, as I intend to be here for quite a long time, he would retire, be forced out, die on the job, who knows. Um, but when it happened, it was so abrupt, um, I was not prepared. And, like, emotionally, it got me emotional because, I mean, I love Vince. He, he's been like a, a father figure to me over the past 10 years you know he's someone that his approval means a lot to me and so when I kind of was just like wow is that the last time I'm ever gonna see Vince you know like am I ever gonna see him again and when you have such a close relationship with someone ups and downs it's just it felt like uh felt like I was losing a friend and and losing a, a, a mentor and like I, I didn't know whether to be excited or not, like it kind of felt, it felt like a little, I don't know, like inappropriate to, mm. to be excited about something like that, you know? So Have you had a chance to speak to him since? No, no, no. Really? I, I had, no, I only had his, uh, I only had his corporate phone. I had his Connecticut phone. And Come so that's nothing. gone. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been able to talk to him since. Wow. Yeah. I sent him a message, um, like, you know, immediately, but I assume he was 
inundated. Um, and just, you know, I, I, he read it. it, it was there, you know, it was one of his voice messages, the audio message. So you see if it's, if it disappears, obviously someone had read it, you know? Okay. So he, he heard it. Um, and I hadn't heard anything from him so far, no. I respect that that's probably a private thing, but could you tell, like, why does he mean so much to you, and, and what did you want to try to convey to him? I just, I just told him that I loved him, you know, and that uh, I'm going to miss him. And um, like I said, he was just a mentor to me. I mean, th this business doesn't become what it is without him. And all of us who are sitting here talking about it, uh, anyone on Twitter, who's got an opinion about pro wrestling and th its global reach, um, just it doesn't happen the same way without Vince. Maybe it happens, you know, maybe pro wrestling survives um, without somebody taking it national or a, comp a company national. Maybe it prospers as it did in the uh, territory days in some areas, but maybe it also just, you know, goes to die like. Barnum and Bailey, right? Mm -hmm. You know, eventually that just got smaller and smaller till it was gone. Who knows? The point is, we owe so much to him. I mean, I without him hiring me and paying me, I don't have a wife that I'm, you know, that I have now, and my kid, all of that. You know, my livelihood is a lot in part to him, and so he's given me the opportunity to live out my dream, um, you know, with with what he has created, and so there was just a lot of respect there and a lot of love that I had cultivated and a good relationship with him over the years. One of the themes right now is a lot of old faces are coming back, mm. right? And uh, I was wondering if you'd be down with this idea. I, I always felt like maybe one that if you could do over in your incredible Hall of Fame career is the Bray Wyatt feud. And I wonder if Bray comes back, if that's one that you would like to uh, have a mulligan on. Yeah, I mean, another crack at that one might be nice. I mean, look, the Bray Wyatt character was just difficult. I mean, if you look at anybody that worked with the Bray Wyatt character for an extended period of time, um, they, didn't, they didn't come out of it better than they went in. It was very difficult to have a story with him where, um, aside from Randy, obviously, who killed him, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, it, it was difficult for anyone. I, I think maybe Daniel Bryan. Brian might have escaped um, a little unscathed, but I mean, everyone else pretty much met a, a dire end for their, their character. I mean, that was the end for the Seth Rollins character, as you knew it, the, right. the Beast Slayer character, you know? Um, and so it was, uh, it was tough figuring out how to um, tell a good wrestling story with that character. Okay. And so it put, it just, you know, I just wasn't good at it. That was one thing I was not, I was not good at the kind of the phenomenology stuff. Like I wasn't able to interweave that with reality enough to make what I felt was a captivating story. At the end of the day, it probably would have been better if he just mauled me in that cell and put the claw on me and called it a day. You know, I could have moved on to something else and he could have had his run as champion. But, um, you know, that wasn't the case. And we played the hand we were dealt and that was not our call and i know he would tell you the same thing that was that did not go the way we wanted it to we tried and we tried and we tried and um the boss at the time would not budge mm. and so we ended up you know like i said um before it's just it's not our sandbox you know right, right, right. We, we are we are actors on a stage sometimes and we read the lines and so that was one of those nights where we didn't have the 
we didn't have the liberty to ad lib. You know, we didn't have the liberty to 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 take things into our own hands. And so, I, I would love to have another crack at working with Wyndham Rotunda. Hmm. Um, he's an incredible talent, just a mind for the industry and for stories and for characters that is very unique. There's not a lot of people in our business, uh, past, present, and future, that think about things on the level that he does. And so I would love to have another crack at working with him because I think we could do something extremely special. Yeah. Whether that's with the, uh, the Fiend character or not, who knows? He's a, he's a master at reinventing himself. And so um, if he does, you know, if our paths cross and he does find his way back here, um, I would definitely love to have another go around. I think we, we def there's certainly magic to be made there. In what capacity, I don't know. Okay, I thought you were actually going to say, I hate this idea. And now at the end, you made me believe that this is something that could work. So I appreciate the arc <laughs> that you just told in that answer. Uh, last thing, if I may, um, I have a tremendous amount of respect, as you know, for your wife, Becky Lynch. I think she's one of the all-time best. No question. And uh, what a run she had this past year. And you are used to not being with her on the road because when she left to mm. you know, give birth and spend time with your daughter, she was obviously not around. But this past year, you've had... I think an incredible experience of traveling the world with not only her but your daughter. Indeed. Uh, now you're back to being solo, yeah. so to speak. What is that like to have them by your side for this past year? Travel the world. You're on your bus. You're doing your thing. I mean, I've had a couple of instances where I'm backstage. I'm seeing this little yeah, yeah, gorgeous yeah, yeah. baby backstage, and now you're not with them. How is that? Oh, like it's for awful. You? It's awful. Yeah, it was a rude awakening, man. Um, I, I was definitely like a wake-up call. I, you know, not that I took any of it for granted, but sometimes when you're traveling with an infant, it can be difficult, yeah. you know, especially when you're doing it every week and not airports. And in that year, she went to Europe twice. She went to Saudi Arabia twice. She was awesome, like so good. So we were very lucky in that regard. But yeah, once we started the last month, I've been solo on the road, and it's just like, Man, how lucky was I to be able to get to spend an entire year essentially on the road with my wife and my baby daughter. Like the fact that we were able to do it, um, we had the help in the right places to, to facilitate, you know, big thanks to my mom and our nanny and our bus driver. You know, like it just doesn't work without, you know, what they say it takes a village, right? right? right. It definitely took a village, but it was awesome to get to experience all that with her. And, um, one final note on that, I can't begin to say enough about what she did in the last year. Like, it was unreal. I think when people look back on it, they're gonna, it's really gonna kind of have its own place in history because, like, everyone laments, or not laments, but everybody like praises her run as the man, the lead up to, you know, WrestleMania, first ever women's WrestleMania match, which is unparalleled. That rise of a woman in pro wrestling, I don't think has ever existed. Um, and so she changed the game for, you know, little girls all over the world and how they can be presented in our industry, which is amazing. Not her alone, but she was the standard bearer in that regard. But to come back after having a child, flip the switch, turn heel and then work with all these other girls and help them along the way and help galvanize the raw locker room and turn it into the best female locker room in the game um, because of her work ethic. She was making all the live events, doing all the TVs, working all the pay-per-views. And this is you know, less than a year after having her first kid. And that is unreal. 
like I watched it in awe every time. And so I think that run is going to be looked back. I mean, the match with Lita in Saudi Arabia, like Lita hadn't had a singles match in how long, you know? And arguably, I would say Becky gave her the greatest match of her career. And so it's just a testament to how good she is and how incredible she is. And I have such admiration for what she was able to do while also being a full-time mom. It's truly incredible. Much respect to her. Much respect to you, my friend. I'm so happy we could finally do this. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Unbelievable career. You continue to level up, and I hope at some point you get the flowers that you deserve and that you you realize that you're going to go down as one of the all-time greats, truly. At at the end of the day, man, life is really good, and I'm very fortunate, and uh, thank you again. Thanks for having me. What a guy, Seth Rollins. And I'll never forget, first time I ever had the privilege of taking my kids backstage. You said hello to my boys. You took a picture with them, and they always bring it up. And those are the moments that you know the, the youngsters don't forget. And that meant a lot to me. So on camera, thank you for that. Uh, Appreciate it very much. That's what it's all about. Seth Rollins, hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Another edition of Ariel Hawani Meets in the books, a very special one with the great Seth Rollins. Tune in next time. Appreciate your time.